the Pinball Network is online. Launching Final Round Pinball Podcast. Player versus player and player versus machine. Welcome to the final round. Hello once again, my name is Jeff Teolis. My name's Martin Robbins. Good to have you back again. And you know, next time we do a show, it's big leagues. No more of this single-digit bullshit, all right? We're going to be into episode 10 <laughs> right now. This is our last kind of free pass at doing one of these things. Yeah. We're expected to be perfect after this, Marty. So, you know, let's maybe may, let's do it maybe a week early. <laughs> Shoot it. for perfection now. Get it out on time. Is that what you're saying? Okay, now you're pushing it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there is that, isn't there? You know what? I'm very proud to say, even though we're recording this on Monday, June 1st, this will be out on time, maybe even earlier. It's Tuesday, <laughs> June 2nd for me, but you know, I'm always in the future. We'll see. Well, Marty, it's a good news, bad news week. The good news is COVID-19 is now not the number one concern. the bad news is holy shit yeah the the world's a bit crazy at the moment especially especially where you are well north america has seen it but i've seen protests in london and germany and obviously it's big news around the world the horrible tragic murder of george floyd is just obviously on the top of everyone's mind as it should be a senseless act and people are pissed People were pissed before with COVID-19. Now they're pissed again. And I do not have any answers. I only have empathy. And I wish I could hug everybody I know right now and people I don't know. Like, we're going to get through this. Yeah, I think think people were on the brink as it was. And this has just pushed a lot of people over. And it's crazy times. And as we say, we've been saying each week because of COVID, stay safe. Like, really right now, stay safe, please. Absolutely. And uh, anyway, Marty, I know you feel the same way I do. Pretty much everybody listening to this program is feeling the same thing. We want to get through this. We want to see better solutions. We want to have a better world to live in. Fingers crossed, cooler heads will prevail and we'll get through this. Yep, we will get through this for sure. So that was kind of my week. (laughs) What about yours? (laughs) That, that That was pretty much my week just staring at the world and an and outsider looking in and just i don't know frustration despair but again we've just got a peaceful solution just get through this and just be, be better people for it i guess i don't know it's crazy times it is you are listening to this program because you want to hear about pinball we're going to give that to you this isn't a political rant by any means so the good news is Also, look at this, a new game was released, Mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Pretty spectacular, I have to say, from what I've seen so far. It's really interesting because I still am a bit cool on the theme. Someone someone on my stream said, oh, maybe it was a bit after your time. So that's a bit unfair. I'm not that old. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a thing when I was growing up as well, but I just wasn't into it. We were teenagers, yeah. My younger brother was really into it, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched it. I was just never a huge fan, never really got into the movies either. So, 
I was thinking, I knew that I knew it was going to be this theme, and I was thinking, oh, I don't get it. But what I've known about Stern is they can take themes that I'm not into and still make a great pinball machine out of it. And the biggest case in point for me is Aerosmith. I am so not into Aerosmith, the band. And then you look at the product and you go, you have turned this around and made something special out of something that I'm not interested in. So I was hoping that's what they would do with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it's exactly what they've done. That's a great point. Aerosmith, a very North American band, so probably doesn't have that appeal across the world like it would in North America. But also go one step further. Iron Maiden. How many people never knew an Iron Maiden song? Yep. Does it matter? I think I've told you this before. I make fun of you not seeing movies. I've never, ever seen the movie Jurassic Park. Oh my God. It's one of my favorite films. You've just made it so I will never see Jurassic Park. No, that's not true because I told you to watch Matrix because I love it and you watched Matrix and you enjoyed it. I wouldn't say you uh, loved it. You enjoyed it. Hold on it. a second. Hold on. I had already seen Matrix before. Sure. So it was a refresher. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway, I get it. I've seen some of the Jurassic Park movies. I've just never seen the original one. Doesn't matter. No. Iron Maiden. Doesn't matter. Aerosmith. Doesn't matter. If the pinball game is great. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I know the four characters' names. I know, I guess, April and Shredder and a few of the other things. Don't really know the history of it. I know they like pizza. I don't give a crap. The game looks awesome. Yeah, it really does. And we're going to talk to somebody about the rules where I think this really shines as well. I think it's a recipe for success. This guy had a pretty big week last week, and so did everyone at Stern Pinball with the announcement of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Joining us right now, let's say hello to our good friend, Dwight Sullivan. Hey, Dwight, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, Jeff and Martin. Thanks for having me on. It's always our pleasure. Always good to see you come out with a new game. And I've watched the Dead Flip stream of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in which you went through the rules. But I just want to take a step back, if I can, and sort of just ask, what's the process that you go through? What's the, the methodology that you use when someone says, okay, here's a game, here's a thing that we're going to do, go. What do, you, what do you do? What goes through your thought process? This game was a little bit different than some of the others. I mean, every game, one thing that's great about my job is every game is a little bit different. In this game, we started, you know, watching the show and we started throwing ideas on a whiteboard. Um, and then when I say we, that's uh, John Borg, Elliot Eisman and myself. We were the core team and we were meeting right from the beginning and, and talking about the show and who are the villains and who's, you know, what are the different tropes in the show? What are, what, what do the turtles do? What do they like in the game? What has to be in the game in order for it to be a Turtle Mutant Ninja Turtle game? And then I started thinking about all the different things that I saw in the episodes and, well, which, which things would make a fun game? And I like choices. I like things that, you know, giving players an opportunity to take different paths. Um, I try to put that in as many games as possible. So so training just kind of jumped out at me as, as, well, these guys could train and they could start off at one level and work their way through and become, you know, higher and higher level. And that, that could mean different things as we go. So that's where we started with this game. And at what stage did you... Did you know that you were going to sort of really have those RPG elements where you can level up characters? Because I know that we've seen some sort of RPG elements previously in your games, but this one's taking that to the next level where you do start as a character and you can level them up. You can then level up other characters. You can bring in other characters as team-ups. When did you know that that's what you wanted to do? 
Well, it, it just kind of all fell into place, you know, and I do love the whole RGB things. I've done it in the past, like so in Star Wars, you can pick which character you want, and that meant different things as you went through the game. In Game of Thrones, you could pick different houses, which is similar. And then in Game of Thrones, there's other RGP moments like you can get gold and then you can spend the gold on. You can choose what you want to spend your gold on. And I think that's pretty fun. So I, I always like to do that sort of thing in games. So then as soon as I started thinking about sort of watching the show and like they, they have to train before breakfast. That was something that was in the show often. It's like before they can have their cereal and pizza breakfast, you know, they have to train. And I'm like, well, that's we can make training part of the show. And then what does that mean? Well, if you're training, that means that you know you're you start off at one level and you work your way up through multiple levels, and then each level can it is you know can be something different. And that just kind of all fell into place. So when you choose a turtle, similar to choosing a character in Star Wars or a house in Game of Thrones, there have to be huge challenges for you doing the code because. When you have that much variety, and, and we'll get to the eight modes and whatnot later, but with the, each character and each strength, there's that variety, and you pretty much have to make sure that for the players are making each path somewhat equal in the sense that you don't want people always choosing the same character. Correct. So it's a challenge on multiple levels. I do want them all to be fun and fair, but like on Game of Thrones, it's okay if, if like I like I always pick Raphael, because Raphael is easier and in, in for the things I want to do, so I'm I'm probably not ever going to pick the other turtles in, in, in you know unless it's a special circumstance. But you you guys might pick something you might pick a different turtle because the way you play. So I'm trying to make it so that sure they're all fair and equal, but at the same time there's something for everybody. Something for everybody I think is just as important as fair and balanced. So what I would say about the rules from what I've seen so far is that if you think about the last couple of games that you've done obviously star wars was for me it was quite quite complicated and quite deep and very very detailed and so much to go for and then you also had monsters which was a simpler rule set this is kind of somewhere in the middle was that something that you intentionally wanted to do it absolutely was um monsters was a game that we we aimed at a simpler market a simpler a simpler theme a simpler game and um of course star wars i wanted it to be epic i wanted it to have the kitchen sink so i did that but i wanted you know but turtles didn't you know when i started going through all of the material you know turtles doesn't need 19 modes and four wizard modes and all that like from star wars but at the same time i wanted it to be much more complicated than than monsters I want it, you know, because I wanted this leveling up. I wanted to choose your different turtles, and that that automatically starts adding complexity. And I I love complexity. Yes, you do. I've always asked you to maybe explain a game within thirty seconds, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, not easy to do. But you know what? That's a good thing because again, it makes the game deeper. It gives more opportunities to explore different things that might not be out there. And even on the stream, you didn't say everything. You didn't talk about the wizard modes in any great length because you want people to explore those things. So looking at it, when I first saw it, I thought, this is a pretty deep game. It's funny you say, yeah, it's not as deep. Yeah, there aren't as many modes as Star Wars, but it still looks pretty deep. There's the stackability and all that kind of good stuff. I don't know what it's like for you coding this when it comes to how many lines of code it took compared to other games. Right, so I told you about that. Um, so I know I'm lying. I'm pretending I don't know because people don't know our inside conversations, Dwight. You son of a gun. Anyway, Dwight, edit it out if you want to. No, no, I'll keep. I'll keep it in. Way to go. Way to pull back the curtain. Okay, secrets are out. Go ahead, Dwight. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> our first guest could be crying. This could be great. No, Dwight, explain the lines of code. 
in my roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is it looks deep. How deep is this compared to the other games? Well, okay, so Lines of Code doesn't imply deep. It just implies how much Ah. work went into the game and how many hours of time went into the game. And it's not just me. I really want to emphasize that um, there's a whole team of people making this game. I have like four or five programmers. There's five or six artists. There's a sound guy. Poor Jerry. He's like the only sound guy. Um, Jerry's great. Jerry's awesome. So there's a whole team of people making all these lines of code, but it, it just represents the hours of work that go in, that are involved. So like so for for example, um, Star Wars was about 118,000 lines of code. That's what it, that's where it stands today, and that's just again that just reflects on how many hours it took to make Star Wars. Game of Thrones, Ghostbusters, and Munsters are all fall around 80,000, 86,000 lines of code. They all have about the same amount of content. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is currently around 110,000 lines of code. That's because it has so much breadth. Um, it has less of depth, and it's going to actually take more hours, more minutes to get through Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles than it will Star Wars. Like, if you take the fastest path to Jedi Master, you know, to, to the last mode, you can get there faster, I think, than you can in Turtles. But Turtles has more breadth. Because when we started laying out the game and John started making all these combos, I'm like, well, I want I want a set of rules for every little set of combos that we can make. So we made crane combo and one, two, three foot combo and weapon combos and hurry-ups. And this game has a lot of stuff going on that more than just trying to get through all the modes and get to the deep wizard mode. But I think what you've done differently this time and this is for me remember i'm i'm somebody that gets very i get frustrated with complex rule sets because i just don't have the attention span the fact that i understood this rule set says to me that you've done something very differently and yes it it has got obviously lines of code and, and it's quite broad but i think you've presented this in a much more digestible way it just seems more logical how you're going to progress through the game and the information it gives you to know how to progress through the game. Thanks. That's um, it, that's a lot of work to do that, and and I've gotten better at it over the years. So a lot of things are more, they seem simpler, they seem easier to do. Like you walk up and you're just going to try to work your way through these modes, and oh wait, there's training over here on the side, or or I stumble into a multi ball. You don't have to. It's not as complex or in your face with a wall of stuff as say Star Wars. So I know what you mean, and and I. And thank you. That 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 also takes a lot of work, but and, and just me growing a little bit as a pinball designer. Marty and I are the same that way. It's harder for us to really digest the rules. It's different when you own the game, and I think anybody who owns Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is going to be able to digest it certainly quicker than those that are playing the casual game at an arcade or or on location or at a tournament or whatever the case may be. Once we get to that. But one thing that made it easier for me to understand this new game was something I loved seeing was kind of the progress on the LCD screen on the right-hand side. That information, that helps players like me. Give me more information and a quick access to it. It looks like I've got it there. Yeah, we've come a long way, too, on what should we show on the LCD, what what should always be there, what should show up. And then when things just sort of show up and go away, you know, like, what are they? Are they how big of information should it be before it takes over the screen? Um, so we're getting a lot better on that, too. And I and thanks. That that was work between me and Josh Clay. Josh Clay is our, our lead animator. Again, he's he's the lead of a team of people animating. But Josh was Josh and I sort of designed the whole UI. So like the scores go across the bottom and the and the episodes are on the right and the pizzas in the top right corner. That went through several iterations and we finally nailed all that out eventually, you know, like that was months and months ago, but yeah, it was it was a lot of work. So for those that haven't seen the stream, 
how would you summarize, I guess, the rule set in what you need to do, what each of the characters do, and what you're aiming to do in the machine? Okay, that's that's a long summary. Um, yeah, you can do it in thirty seconds. Go ahead, Dwight. All right, so so you you walk up to the game, and and if you're if you're a Turtles fan, then you're going to already have a turtle that is your favorite. So you're quickly going to learn though that like. Leo is, you know, he lights. The very first perk you get is just for pushing start. So when you push start, one of the turtles is my 30 seconds up yet? I haven't even started. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to start the button at the 30 second mark. Yep. So, you know, you push start, and, and right off the bat, you can choose what turtle you are. But if you don't know anything about that, if you just plunge, you're going to get a random turtle. And, and, and who cares? Because you're going you're gonna to learn about well, what, that, what does that mean and who, you know, you're going to eventually down the road learn it. But if you do care, you can change with the flipper buttons. You can change what turtle it is, and then you can pick the turtle you want to be and then plunge the ball, and it'll choose, you know, you'll take that turtle. And at level one, each turtle lights something different. Gary has a pro at his house, and he's ta- he plays it all the time. Time. He loves turtles, and he he loves being Donatello because Donatello lights turtle multiball on the right ramp, and so all you have to do is shoot the right ramp one time, and you'll start a multiball if you pick Donatello. I pick Raphael because um, Raphael lights episodes when you're on at level one. So I want episodes to be lit right off the bat, and I just shoot in there and I start an episode, and I'm well on my way toward collecting episodes. Elliot he likes Leo because he wants to start training right off the bat and start working his way through the training levels. So there's something different for everybody. Um, Michelangelo um, lights the outlanes and, you know, might save your ball. So he, he lets you, you know, have a, have a safer ball. There's something for everybody. Everybody can pick something different. So then as you work your way through the game, as you're, as you're leveling up and or working your way through episodes, you start learning that there's a story. The episodes have a story arc where, um, sure, these villains keep coming back and doing nasty, nasty things, you know, trying to destroy the turtles or win the day or take over the world or whatever they're trying to do. And the turtles are stopping them at each turn, you know, like at, at, around every corner. But along the way, um, Shredder still is succeeding at getting the little things that he needs. Even if the turtles win or lose, Shredder is succeeding. And then he, the overall, the overall story arc comes to a head in the final battle at the, at the, the second wizard mode. So, that's kind of an overview of the game. You're you're working your way through the story, and you're leveling up your turtle, and each turtle has different perks. And you can get other perks, though. Can 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 you get other characters' perks as well? No, you you can only get your own. Okay. You, there are sixteen. So each turtle, there's four turtles, and each turtle has four levels. So there's sixteen different unique perks that you can get, but you can only get four of them on any given game. Again, that sounds deep. I saw the weapon hurry up. It started at, I think, 500,000. You kind of double your hurry up on the next made shot. So if you hit that hurry up at, say, 450 and then made the second shot, you'd get 900, correct? Correct. Well, you, you'd get 500 plus. You'd start, it would start off at 950, correct? Okay. So I thought that was pretty neat. And then you showed the foot one, two, three, which you said you could stack. But I was wondering if I missed the value of that because I saw three shots being made for a total value under half a million, whereas the one shot on the weapon hurry up was half a million. So I was wondering, and obviously I'm missing something, why would I shoot three shots to get 500,000 when I can shoot one hurry up? Because obviously the thing I'm missing is you can stack foot one, two, three, and it does something else. What did I miss? So you missed a couple things. One, weapon hurry up has to be, you have to make your skill shot in order to light weapon hurry up. One, two, three is always lit for you at the beginning of every ball. 
So lit one, one, two, three is much easier to start than weapon. Weapon requires you to make one of your skill shots. Um, there's a, and there, each of the four turtles have a different skill shot. Then the other thing that you missed is, is the weapon hurry up is, is a hurry up. So the, the score is counting down. It starts off at half a million, but it counts down and you could easily get 50,000 for it. Not me. Have you seen me shoot? Come on. Right. So you're going to get, you're right. You're going to get like, if you, <laughs> if you make, if you make the two shots, you're going to get like seven, 800,000 for it. Maybe, maybe even more. But the other thing is, is the foot one, two, three combo. So the spinner advances that value and that's on the ui you see that there's a foot symbol and there's a number in the middle of the foot symbol and that number is constantly going up with every time the spinner spins so i like that and so you carry that over across the game so the very first time you shoot if so foot's one two three you you shoot you destroy one foot and then two foot and then three foot and and that's a total of six foot times times whatever your spinner value is that you've been that you've been building up the whole game marty you know i love that I know you do, so eh, you know I. It's points. <laughs> I just, <laughs> but building the value of a spinner, hello, or having the spinner build the value of foot, either or, I love it. No, I know why you're saying that because we, Jeff and I, had a, a, an offline conversation probably only a couple of days ago about spinners and how they've kind of become less important. Meaning, they give a nice light show, they make a nice sound. But where's the mega value in ripping a spinner? Right. So I'm trying to bring that back a little bit by... Yay. Yeah. Yeah, really, the recent games have been just... They're switch hits. They're not exponential in any real way. I mean, you have to, in Deadpool, hit the spinner a bunch of times to get the disco multiball. Okay, great. But uh, I want to make that worth more and more and more or have it do something else to the play field. And it sounds like you've done that here. I like that. Yeah. So I... Right, I learned that lesson in Ghostbusters. The last pass of Ghostbusters, um, the spinner always builds the super jackpot value. Okay. I don't mind that, but the payoff is getting the super jackpot. I like to be able to rip a spinner and, and just see mega points up on the screen, and it seems like you're balancing that. Yeah, I guess I'm not making you as happy as I probably should. Maybe maybe I'll, I'll reconsider how many points you get for the spinner. <laughs> Well, you're not you're not designing the game for me, but it's a question I just had in my mind. Like, who are you making this game for? That's a hard question. So we're we're making it for everybody, right? But there's so there's five or six different you know types of players in my mind, and you try to please them all. <laughs> you know, I want to please the tournament player. I want to please you know, which is very very different from the home buyer, and which is different from which is different from the, the, the experienced player at a bar. Because the experienced player at a bar, he still knows quite a bit about pinball and knows about rules, and he'll come back and learn a game over and over again as he comes back to that bar every three days a week or whatever, right? And then there's the casual player, the novice, you know, the novice casual player, the guy that's just playing because his friend told him it's cool. And so you gotta, you know, you got to please everybody. To me, with this theme, it invites that player, whether he or she is enjoying the theme and going, okay, wow, I I love turtles. This looks like it could be fun. I put a quarter or a dollar in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game. I like this one too. Let's let's see what it is. And the animations nowadays make it almost video game-like. And I think when that player puts in their quarter or dollar, Stern has done a very good job in the last few games, and for many games, but really just inviting that novice player to have something exceptional happen no matter what your skill set is 
Right, right. So we always try to make it so that you can stumble into a multi-ball, you can stumble into fun, you can stumble your way into things and and have fun. And like the music changes and you're hearing speech calls and shoot the left ramp and yay, you did it from April. And there's a lot of that in this game. And then there's lots of depth and depth that you could try to, you know, then at some point you go, oh, wait, there's more. There's training. What's that about? And there's there's episodes. What's that about? And, you know, what happens when I get, you know, two or three or four episodes and so on? So we try to pull people down that road. And then you've added an additional layer on top of that, which I'd love for you to, to go through why you decided to do this, how you did it, and why... Obviously, you're really excited about it. That, that certainly came through on the stream. And that is how people can play this game together. I'm very excited about that. I yeah. know you are. <laughs> yeah. So co-op is a lot of fun to design. It's a lot. It's it, mostly because it's new to me, right? Like I've been doing pinball for 30 years, guys. 30 freaking years. Like, And I, I love it. I love pinball and I love designing games. I love designing rule sets. But co-op has added a whole new, like you said, layer to it. And at first, so then I'm at a friend's house, Ken Cromwell, and um, we're playing TNA. He had, a, he at the time, he had a TNA in his basement. And um, of course, of course, co-op isn't new, right? Co-op, you know, like Scott didn't invent co-op, right? But he added it to his game, and we were, you know, four of us were all playing TNA, and we're trying to figure out what it does, and it was a lot of fun. And I'm like, you know, that's, we should, you know, and everyone keeps saying, you should, you know, that should be in more games. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to make that in more games. And at first glance, it's just, you know, giving everybody the same score. And that's pretty easy to do. But then I'm like, well, then it, we're also going to share progress. And then you think, well, that, what does that mean, sharing progress? What is, what does that look like? And, in, and, in, and I think it's going to look different in every game that it's implemented in, or at least a little bit different in every game it's implemented in. The way I translated that was, well, sure, every time you play an episode, I get credit for that episode if you and I are playing together. And, and when I play an episode, you get credit for that episode. That means that we're going to work our way through the episodes together. And then, but then I'm like, well, what happens when you play a wizard mode along that path? Like, so in, in Turtles, when you get four episodes, you're going to play team up. And then team up is a little, is a, well, it's not little. It's a, it's a wizard mode. It's a full blown wizard mode that you get for playing four episodes. And what would suck is like, like if, if I was robbed out of that, you know, like if, like if you got team up and I didn't because you crossed that threshold and got to like episode five and six before me, that then I would be robbed. And I'm like, well, I don't want that. So now what happens in Turtles is if you, let's say you play six episodes and along that way, you know, after four, you played team up. Then when it became my ball, I'm going to get team up. Team up will be waiting for me right then at the beginning of my ball. And I'm never, ever going to be robbed of a wizard mode. So that was, that was interesting. And then I thought, well, let's take this one step further. Like what if, you know, while I'm playing, I lit something or I affected your game when you're playing. And I and I started thinking, well, how could how could I do that? And I and I and I came up with a pretty cool way. If you want it, me to go into that now, it just gives you so many different varieties to play the same game, and it seems simple in concept. So was it easy to execute? Because the benefits are huge. It was not as easy as it sounds. Um, it was it was fun to execute, so that made it easy on that regard. Like like it, even though it was you know it was a lot of work, but it you know it was just figuring out how to well on a design level and an implementation level you know how to make it all work was you know was well it wasn't hard, but it wasn't as simple as, as just giving everybody the same score, which I thought you know which is what you might think co op is at first. 
So with with the, the the battles that you've got, you know, you've got your two versus one, two versus two, right? Three versus one, right? Even right. Well, yeah. you're going. You're talking about you're talking about gameplay mode. So that's another thing I'm kind of excited about. So that's that's sort of tangential. So when you walk up to turtles, you can push in the both flipper buttons, and you can flipper. A menu will show up on the screen. Like after three seconds of holding in both flipper buttons between games, a menu will show up on the screen, and you'll you'll be able to pick what game mode you want to play in your next game. And it can be you know normal or co-op or competitive or competitive plus co-op or team play. Team play is not co-op. Team play is is like two v two or three v one or two v one, right? So like 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 imagine you know three the three of us versus Keith Elwin, right? We can play three v one and try to take on Keith Elwin, you know, in the game. But is it just is it just your combining scores, or are you doing things in the game that can potentially negatively affect your opponent? No, well that's so. In team play, it's just combining scores. But like, like think about it. Like, you know, you and I are f- well. Like, we 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 both know people. Like, like dad can take on you know the two kids and the mom, right? So that's three v one. That's that's a nice little way to play three v one. Again, it doesn't matter what your skill set is. You're going to have fun whether you're participating with others, whether it's competition, whether it's team mode. That's the neat thing about what you've done here. So I'm glad you've put that in, and I think it's going to be a big, big hit. Explain April. I've seen that a lot on recent games. Think of John Board games. Let me think. Uh, Metallica has a, a long, wide fuel shot. In Guardians, he has the Guardians uh, multiplier shot. That's a, a long target. And you have that here with April. I think Munster's had it too with Lily, if I think about it. so Yeah, Lily so- and April and Lair. Lair's a long, wide target. Um, So you, if the topic is long, wide targets... I love it. <laughs> I do. I do too. So John and I both like... There's lots of discussion out there on the forums about these wide targets. They think that they're we're just trying to be cheap, and that's not true at all. Like in the beginning, when we're laying out the game, you know, John and I both like the really wide targets. We like a lot of the things you can do with them, and and how they and and how easy it is to shoot when you need to. And and so at the very beginning of this game, John said, "Well, how about a really wide target here and a wide target over here?" And I'm like, "Yes, I love it. Let's do that." And that's the what we did because we we did it because we wanted to. It was a design choice. It's it's we thought it's to make the game fun. It has nothing to do with anything else. I don't think it's cheap. I think there are enough shots on the game that you need a little bit of relief once in a while. And again, it's that player satisfaction from being able to do that. Very cute. What April does gives you progress on. And what is it? Rescuing a cat if there's nothing going on, something like that. Um, April does two. Th- well, both targets banks do two things. Um, April does two things. She lights battle again for you. And but if you already have battle again lit, she starts to hurry up. And you need in order to get to the deep wizard mode, the cowabunga wizard mode, um, you need five April hurry ups to get you know to finish. So, but the cool thing that she does is, in, it's, just, it's not just a regular hurry up. She's she always stacks with anything else going on. So if you like start an episode and start a multi ball stack with that, and then start April hurry up, she'll report on that and she'll say, you know, you know, the turtle van has been spotted all over town, and how much she's worth will be worth much much more if you stack her with other things because she's a news reporter, right? She wants to report on really cool stuff. So if if you stack her, she'll report on the really cool things instead of. But if, if but if you start it with nothing else going on, then it's a cat stuck in a tree. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then I, I do want to just talk about the big targets as well, because I think it, of all the feedback that I've seen, it's really the only, I guess it's probably the only, ne- I'll call it a negative that people are, are really calling out. Yeah, it is. Those targets. Well, and let's just face it, if that's what people are calling out, 
I think that's success for a machine, right? I agree. But it, I just want to I just wanted to be on the record that it's not it wasn't to cheat it wasn't to to make the game cheaper. It was it was John and I like the big targets. So we we did it on monsters and we did it again, you know, on turtles. Okay. So so it, you like that as opposed to having a bank of targets. So what's the benefit then to the overall experience having the wide target as opposed to a bank of targets? Be, be they drop targets or stand-ups? Well, so I really don't like drop targets on the side of the game because I really like drop targets like they were done for Little Deadpool or, you know, or Scott's one, two, you know, Scott's inline three bank or, you know, like, like anytime a drop target protects something, protects a ramp or a shot or, or a target behind it, like in Beatles, you know, that's, that's, I think where drop targets belong. So otherwise, if, if these long targets were standups, then, then you're sort of, you can't spell out April in that space, right? Like you can't have, it would would be hard to fit five standups in that space. I mean, sure, you could fit five little tiny, you know, standups in that space, but why do that, right? I would treat them all as one target anyway, most of the time. So if I'm going to treat it all as one target, it's it, it's a psychological thing, right? You see that and you go, oh, I can hit that big wide target. That's easy. And it's not as easy as you think for the average to lower player, right? Like when you need to hit April to, to do something because she's, she might be timing out and, and, you know, and you have to complete it, complete the spelling of April. You know, you're like, I, shit, I keep shooting that orbit when I, you know, when I want to shoot April. And wait, well, there's one more thing. There's um, the artwork that we can put across the wide target is better than artwork you can put on five little tiny stand-ups. I, I get it. I, I wanted you to explain it, and and because it actually, when I was streaming somebody, that that was the topic of conversation because I streamed straight after the reveal, and and I gave two specific examples. One's a stir machine, one's not, and it's the the Tyrell or the light lock shot on Game of Thrones. You've got those two shots to get. One of them is harder and more dangerous than the other. So if that was a joint target, you still in a way doing the same thing but it's a it's a safer shot for a game that can be pretty brutal and the other example i gave was uh, on wizard of oz where you've got the the crystal ball shot and there's the b-a-l-l targets on the left hand side which are really far to the left and to get the b is very difficult and you're relying on side to side motion so in those instances where it's just immediate danger going for those things you benefit from having a an easier shot does the same thing right and I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with stand-ups and, and you know and a spell out and you have to you know you have to try to hit every individual target that's that's something fun about pinball is you could have that and that's great but um what we're doing is, I think is fun as well when this game comes out how close to full code will it be I mean there's always tinkering and whatnot but this looks like it's pretty much there we're hoping that it'll be yet close to 1.0 which for us so that's that's a, you know, like you're just sort of scratching the surface on a major topic. So we're really trying to to make it so that games, when they first go in a box, are at 1.0. And we've been trying that for a long time, and we've been struggling with it, and we've been hiring more and more people. Um, we, we just recently hired Raymond Davidson to help us with this problem. We've been hiring, we've hired lots of other people. We want games to be complete. So we, we want to define that 1.0 equals complete and fun and relatively bug-free, right? Um, and then, sure, there might be updates after that. There might be bug fixes after that. But at least when the game first goes in a box, it's 1.0 and it's fun and complete. So you must know right now there's a few things you need to do before you get to that 1.0 code. There's there's the road to 1.0, yes. Well, then you've got the, the dilemma of 
bringing out a really complicated rule set which requires time to code. So there's a balance there. Right. So that's 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 a tough balance. So like a few weeks ago, like a month or two ago, I, I started on my next game, right? So not coding, not not doing anything, but just thinking about and planning the next game. And like Turtles, I want to hit that middle ground. I want a full game, a full for what, you know, or at least what we would call, you know, in the modern world, a full game like has two multiballs, it has two hurry-ups, it has a set of modes, it has some other little twists and turns and innovative stuff going on. But at the same time, we got to get it done. You know, we, we need to be 1.0 by a certain date. And so that's, that's a big part of why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> and for 30 years too, Dwight. So when you think of the games that have come out in your recent history, all right, when Ghostbusters came out, when Game of Thrones came out, Star Wars, The Monsters, this, where does this one rank as, wow, I'm feeling 10 out of 10 here. I'm really happy about this. Where do you feel, Dwight, when it comes to this game being released? So I, f- I really, really like the rule set and the bones of the rule set that this game is. You know, like, like, sure, it might not be perfect the day, you know, when I'm all done with it. And beta testers and people might go, well, why don't you do this or do that? And I think that because of the structure that's set up, I can easily go in and change something that in it wouldn't really, most people wouldn't notice, most people wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be bad. It would just, it would only be good. And so I, I, I'm loving the structure and, the, and where, what I've done with Turtles. I think it's one of my best games ever. There seems to be a great chemistry between you and John Bork. Safe to say? So yeah, John and I work really well together. Um, he's, so we complement each other in, in a lot of great ways. He, you know, he's, he, he wants the game to flip well and wants good kinetics and flow and shots. And then I like rules and, and I like figuring out everything that the game does that isn't tangible. And so, so that's, you know, we work great together because we don't overlap that very much. Can I just talk about the differences between the pro and the premium in LA? So again, question that's come up. Um, I know you've got the player controlled diverter, but talk through the differences. Sure, sure. The differences. Um, so there's a few, right? One of the things that John really was really important to John was that the van always be able to start a four ball multi ball even after making one shot. Like there was no, he didn't want any locking. He wanted he wanted balls already staged in the van, and and then when you make one shot, that fourth ball goes into the van, and then four balls come out and. So that's one thing that you get that's on the premium and LE that you don't get on the Pro. And that was important to John. The thing that was important to me was the glider, the, the glider that you could control with the button. I love the button, and Jeff and I will argue about the button later today. But um, I love, you know, giving the player reasons to, when they want to, take their hand off the flipper and hit the button and then put their hand back on the flipper and, and, and to be thinking about, well, why was that important? You know, oh, I need the ball to come here. I need the ball to go there. Let me let me change it. Let me change it. And so the glider moving back and forth, that's another, I think, a very important difference. And then the crane, the crane is really a lot of fun. Um, all it is, is just, it's, it's mostly just eye candy. It bounces up and down and he glows and he's constantly pulsing, but he bounces up and down and, and gets really bright with each syllable. And I spent a whole weekend, like, like a month ago, timing out 80 different speech calls for for Krang so that he would bounce up and down and glow brightly with each syllable of every of 80 different phrases. So those those are the three major differences between the premium and the you know premium LE versus the pro. So it when it 
came down to us figuring out, you know, what we had to do. It came down to should we remove the glider or should we remove the spinning disc? And that because because we could have made either one work on the pro. But then, you know, three, you know, the ball's coming out and collecting on the magnet, on the magnet, and then the spinner, the spinning discs, you know, making them explode all over the game, and then coming back and, and getting on the magnet again, and then exploding again. That was too much fun for the casual player at the bar. And so, of course, then the spinning disc has to be on the pro. The glider is more highbrow. It's more complicated to explain why would you want to, you know, use the glider. Um, so, of course, that's more for the home player, the, you know, for the basement games. I didn't say a single word about the action button. <laughs> I kept my mouth shut. Well, we haven't got to a pizza contest yet. <laughs> Let's get to pizza contest. Go ahead. So taking the glider off of the pro, which was hard to do, but we once we just once we made that decision, we're like, well, what is the button going to do on the pro? And so we we had meetings about it, John Elliot and I, and we're you know we're sitting around the game and we're talking and we're throwing out ideas. And I didn't mention it, but I somebody said something about, well, what if we had, what if you could just eat a bunch of pizza, you know, like like in in you know like in ten seconds. And then John said, yes, let's call it a let's make it a pizza eating contest. And but not as much as you can in in ten seconds. Let's let's make it a finite amount and have it be sort of be timed. And you know when you get to the end, you're done, you win. And so that's 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 where that came from. So we we made pizza eating contest because John wanted because it was John's idea, and I'm blaming him. Oh sure sure. Does that happen in the middle of everything, or is it stop do your pizza eating competition and then back to the normal game? So in my mind, it's only fun if it's a single ball play and the ball and, and I know the ball is live on the playfield. Like if you're trapped up or if it's multi ball or if the ball saver is going, then it's it's you know what's where's the challenge in that? So the only way I can do that is if it starts off of a target. And so pizza eating contest starts when you've eaten X number of pieces of pizza. Today that X equals seven. When you get to seven. The next time you hit the target, the contest will begin, and you then want to start mashing the button, and you'll get speech calls, and the lights change, and the music changes, and you know you've got to be hitting the button in, and you have like six seconds to hit the button as many times as you can. Or before the ball strain. Bef no. Bef oh, no? no? Before before the ball gets back to the flipper and you trap it up. <laughs> All right. You know. That's the one thing that I have learned since the action button has become a, a big thing, and uh, you know... It's going to be on your tombstone, Dwight, by the way. It's really the thing you have to learn as a pinball player. Listen, just because you have to hit the action button, you have to do it at the correct time. I get it. So fire the balls off, trap them up, whatever the case may be. Don't take your hands off a flipper when it's a dangerous time to take it off. I've learned that. I've come a long way, Dwight. All right. All right. I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, look, <laughs> I've, I've got to tell you, Star, Star Wars in particular how many times I've kicked myself because I've been pushing the button instead of focusing on the balls that are coming towards my flipper. Well, yeah, that's... It's my fault, and you're, but you're, you're deliberately creating that dilemma for me. It's hilarious. It's because Dwight's an alien, and he has three arms, so he's like, screw everyone else with you, you two-armed humans. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's fun. You're just adding a layer of fun right. just for, for, for fun's sake, right? Right. So because there are people like Jeff... Thank God, or, or help us. The seven, the magic number seven, is because is because that's about how many pieces of pizza you can eat in a game. Like often, <laughs> like so, it never, it doesn't happen very often. So usually, you're only going to get zero to one pizza eating contest per game. 
You know what I mean? So you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it on ball one. Usually, you're not going to get it on ball two. It'll usually happen on ball three or not at all on a typical average player game. Marty, I'm confused. Is he making fun of the action button and my love for it or my chubbiness? Because I'll have you know I've lost 25 pounds since COVID-19 started. So, And I'll have you know, seven pieces is nothing for Jeff. So, <laughs> oh, is, is that not the point you were making? Sorry. I know. That's not quite the point. <laughs> seven is about how many times, because it takes side-to-side action and it takes you missing shots for you to hit the pizza targets because you never aim for them. It's just when, when you're aiming for other things, you'll accidentally hit the pizza targets. Got it, got it. Every time you hit a pizza target, you're going to eat a slice of pizza, and you're going to do that about five or six times a game. Every once in a while, it'll go up to seven. But And then there's there's other ways you're going to get to seven pretty easily, too. So I, I don't know. Like if you play Ninja Pizza Parlor, you know, multiball, if you play Ninja Pizza Multiball, you're going to be eating a lot of pizza during that, and that'll get you past the seven. And then when you come out of that, you'll probably be in contest, in pizza eating contest. It looks like a great game, Dwight. I'm really excited to play it. And congratulations to you, to John, to Jerry, to Zombietti, to all the talent involved. Uh, it's, it's such a great game. I'm dying to get my hands on this thing because, let's put it this way. I think I, you and I text the day it came out. I said, I've got buddies who've sent me notes saying, I've already put an order in to the local distributor. And they, that was even before the stream came out. It's So far, it's selling pretty well. Yeah. I want to talk about the coolest rule in pinball, though, before we go. Wait a minute. Should we let him? He's made fun of me. Do we let that dangle? You can edit it out, you know. What is the coolest rule in pinball? All right, so you we were talking about co-op, and it's a co-op thing, and I sort of I sort of started to go there, but I didn't know where I wanted to do the coolest rule in pinball last. So here's the coolest rule in pinball, and it's difficult to explain, but it's, it's easier to show you. But We're used to that, Dwight, with you. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So in co-op, when you make a skill shot, you light weapon for yourself. That's just normal, right? So when you, so the only way to light weapon is to make your skill shot. So you pick Leonardo, and then at the beginning of the ball, Leonardo, the Leonardo arrow is flashing, and if you make the Leonardo arrow, it'll it'll say skill shot 125,000, and and now weapon is lit. And weapon is is a light on the is a return lane light, and there's one on each side, and you can lane change it if you want to. Okay, so then if the ball goes down the return lane, it starts that hurry up that we were talking about earlier. It's actually a, you know, a double, like a pair of hurry ups that cascade. Like whatever value you get from the first one carries over into the second one, is added to the starting value of the second one, and then it starts counting down from there. So if you nail both of them really quick, you're going to get one and a half million points because you'll get half a million for the first one and then a million for the second one, right? Because the, the half million was added to, the, you know, they were added together, right? Does that make sense? Yep. I actually got that one. I'm following so far. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. So that's that has nothing to do with co-op. That's just regular turtles. So where co-op comes into play is if, let's say you're playing a four-player game, player one, not only will he light weapon for himself, he'll light weapon, you know, for all the other people playing on that ball. So if, if player one makes his skill shot and then player two makes his skill shot, he'll have four hurry-ups sitting there waiting for him on a, on a return lane. He'll have his two plus player one's two. Coolest rule in pinball. Wait, so it... It gets better? It, it does. So so then player three could have six and player four could have eight. And they, they're all cascading, right? So all of the values keep adding. It's it, it could blow up really big. But So what's really great about that is not only 
so in co-op, every player has to be a different turtle. So not only are at the beginning of the game, before you start pushing start, at the beginning of the game, the four of you are standing around going, all right, I'm going to be Donatello, you're going to be you're going to be Leo, and so on. And no, no, I want to be Leo, right? You're going to have those kind of type of arguments. Then you're going to have discussions about who's going to go first, second, third, and fourth. And then you're going to have arguments about, well, you blew your skill shot, so now I'm only going to get three or, or whatever, right? I just think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, I did say that. You, you're, you're effectively, you're building the playground and now you're letting people you don't really know at this stage how people are going to react and utilize it right but the playground's there let people in and and see what they do yeah 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 absolutely um one of the things i'm really hoping that people do someday is have four player 4v4 tournaments like i want yes i want like me the three of us and we add in somebody you know we maybe add in ryan c or somebody and we play a four person tournament and then we put up our scores or we you know, we just, you know, we have our bragging rights someplace somehow. Yeah, that's a very cool feature. I like that a lot, too. And I think you're right. That will be a thing of the future. And uh, I'm glad that's in there. I'm glad a lot of it's in there, too. Dwight, before we let you go, thank you very much. Uh, you and I recently visited Australia, Martin's fine country and continent. What did you think of it? I know I loved it. I had a blast. I had an absolute blast. And I didn't even get to see much. <laughs> I was there for 10 days. And I saw, I went, you know, like I saw a little bit of Sydney. I saw a little bit of Brisbane. And I saw a little bit of Melbourne. But I could I could easily go back for a month. And, you know, it was great. Mm, yeah. You know, I'm obviously a bit biased. I, I love it here. But I also love coming over to, to the States as well. So, right, right. you know, we, we all just like to do something a little bit different. But, yeah, hopefully next time if you do get to come out to Australia, more time in between seminars and, and shows that you're doing. Yep. I was lucky enough, though. I did get to see I – I, I got to spend one night in Melbourne with Martin. And uh, for a few minutes, Ryan C., I wish I could have seen or talked to Ryan C. some more. Not that big a deal. Don't worry about it. Oh, he seemed like a nice guy for the 10 seconds I talked to him. Overrated, actually. Yeah, overrated. And then, and you know, but then I, I got to hang out with Damien. Damien's great. And I got to hang out with um, Simon. I don't know if you guys know Simon. But I mean, I know yes. Mark does, but but Simon, Simon's pretty awesome. And and he's so, God, Simon, Simon's me on steroids, right? You know, he's so passionate and, and you know, and excited and excitable. And I, I think, you know, I think we're made, we're cut from the same cloth, Simon and I. Agreed. You have a lot of fans, Dwight. We're all excited about this game. I know it's going to do very well. Thanks very much for coming on Final Round. Thanks. I had a blast. We'll have to get you on for our next little trivia battle. <laughs> I know you were a big fan of it. I know. Yeah, you, it, it's your least favorite show. You know what? It was for us. It wasn't for you. It was for us to let our hair down and go, what the hell is going on in this world? Uh, this week especially. And you know what? It was a nice, relaxing, fun time for us. It wasn't really pinball, but it was fun. I like the trivia part of it. I like, you know, <laughs> I, I like the actual pinball parts of it. They, they, were, they were great. I love Final Round. I think you guys make a great show, and you've set the bar really, really high, and, and that's, that, you know, that's, that, was all, that was mostly what I was thinking about. Marty, end on that before we fuck it up. <laughs> I was going to end it by saying that that trivia episode was the equivalent of our apron button mash it was there just for fun. It was yeah. just for fun. Yeah, yeah. Is that all right? You got a problem with our action button there, Dwight? You got a problem with that? I, I have no problem with your action button. Awesome. <laughs> hey, man, Thanks, take Dwight. care. Thanks very much. Thank you. Later, guys. That was nice of Dwight to come on final round. Appreciate that. Uh, and especially knowing how busy he has been over the last few days, few months. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is always, it's always a joy 
to speak to Dwight really for, for a number of reasons. But the one reason that, that I really like speaking to Dwight, and I did when, when he was in Melbourne, we sat down for a chat and oh, I hate to say it, but I, I, we literally sat down for, I think, half an hour and we talked about monsters and code. And what I really like about Dwight is he's really passionate about what he does, but he's also really humble. If you say to him, I don't like this, he says, okay, tell me more about why you don't like it and tell me what we can do to improve it. I like that. He, he, he's just, he wants a quality product. Some people can't take constructive criticism, and it's too bad because it's a great skill set to have if you can withstand that, not take it personal, and become better for it. And Dwight has certainly taken his share of criticisms in the past. You and I both feel the same way. We absolutely, really, not like, love the man. He's a wonderful person. I enjoy talking to him every chance I get. And I want to see him succeed, and just looking at what I've seen with this game, the first time I saw it, I was like, wow, this is going to be fun. I, I am really excited to flip this because there's just so much there. Yeah. And and look, we, we spoke to him about it and, and, you know, he was very appreciative of the comment in that it is a complicated rule set, but he spent a lot of time presenting it to us so it's digestible. I think that's probably a really big step for the coding here to make something that is so broad easily understood. Especially over the next few weeks, you're going to probably hear Dwight and John and some of the other people, hopefully Jeremy and Jerry and everybody that was involved in this kind of talk more about it on other podcasts. We just gave you a little sample of, you know, kind of digesting it from an audio sense of really what Dwight has put together. And uh, again, really, really looking forward to playing this. Yeah. Which brings us to how are we going to afford it? Well, thank <laughs> God we have a sponsor of the week, don't we? We we do indeed. A, a very special sponsor this week. This episode's sponsor of the week is the Oxford Dictionary. What a better way to educate yourself. Learn important words and meanings to help you understand your fellow man and woman. Learn words like, oh, let's see. Here, I'll just pick one at random. Peace. Peace. A period of time in which there is no war or violence in a country or an area. What a great word. Here's another one. Equality, ensuring individuals or groups are not treated less favorably on the basis of their characteristics like race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, disability, age, or belief. Hmm, peace and equality. I like the sounds of those words. Thanks, Oxford Dictionary. With that in mind, Jeff, let's see if there's going to be peace with our next interview. Oh my goodness, Marty, we have competition news. <laughs> I, know, I know you say that. Like, it's funny because we haven't had a lot of competitions to talk about, but there has been something that's been out there in the media that's worthy of talking about. IFPA now has a new metric of telling you how good or how weak you may be when it comes to competitions. It's called the ICR, and here to join us right now, one Josh Sharp. Second time now on the show. Hey, Josh. May I speak now? I don't want to talk over anyone. <laughs> now, now is okay. Go ahead, Josh. Yes. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm, I'm sure you are. We, well, obviously, you know, Jeff mentioned that we've got the, the ICR that's coming up. Can I start by asking you just the impacts of IFPA in this time? You've obviously just put in an announcement out that uh, Whopper points are still going to be delayed. You're not encouraging people to play. How does this impact you and the IFPA? 
uh, I mean, an impact. I have a lot less hobby work to do every evening. So uh, Adam Becker and I can share a daily laugh in that. I think, uh, you know, as someone who is very passionate about, you know, pushing the sport forward and making it, helping, helping it grow and whatnot, it sucks to not be able to sort of push push my efforts to that campaign. You know what I mean? It's like, it is nice to have a break because, you know, the work every day is a lot of work, but I miss using sort of my powers for good in that direction. But you're also getting, I would imagine, I've seen some of it on social media platforms, but I imagine you're getting it direct as well, that there are people pressuring you (laughs) to start it back up. Is that correct? What are you talking about, Marty? I don't know. Just putting it out there. Not only Josh, but I'd imagine the country directors and state directors are also getting that kind of pressure. And luckily, Josh has said in the past on this program here on Final Round, you said that you're letting those people give you the feedback and they have their vote. They have their say. And it still hasn't changed much. It has changed a little bit. Here we are now in June. But what's the latest? The latest, and it's it's interesting, in our Slack channel today, we sort of talked about what is the organization supposed to be doing here as places reopen and whatnot. And, you know, I, f- I feel very strongly that it's not our place to give our opinion on whether we feel something is safe enough to play or not. I feel like it's the organization's job to connect, you know, through our local representation, whether it's it's legal and advised for people to be able to gather and play per those local recommendations. And, you know, the shutdown really came because we were, instead of, instead of shutting everything down, our initial response was, Hey, everyone listen to your local recommendations and do the right thing. Don't play if the local recommendations are telling you not to. And that was clearly not happening. So, you know, we had to step in when we felt like, People weren't, you know, people were being encouraged to not follow like real life rules, (laughs) not pinball rules, but like real life gathering rules. So I see us sort of backing off the same way and having that connection to, you know, the state reps and the country directors who are able to let us know, you know, the world is so huge that there's some areas that haven't been affected at all. There's some areas that are way further along than, you know, we are here in Chicago and the fact that all I can do as the Illinois state rep is is know that we can't get together in groups of larger than 10 any earlier than like August. So for me as the Illinois state rep, you know, the answer for do I think that the IFPA should be sanctioning tournaments in Illinois, I would say no, because most of our tournaments here are more than 10 people, you know, based on historical data of the tournaments that get submitted. So because you're the Illinois state rep, you do actually offer an opinion in a sense just because of the facts that the governor's order says this is how big you can be. Like, and, and we have like a little comments box. So like I would advise like a perfect example is we got an email from David Peck this morning out of New Zealand that I think it's immediately. Uh, Mar- Marty, you may know because you're closer over there, but, but he said that groups of less than 100 are now fine in New Zealand. Yeah, I think in Australia it's also being relaxed. And 
I guess that's that's part of the dilemma that you have. Yes, it's it's going to be relaxed in Australia, and and you know we all know Australia has done very well in you know squashing the curve dramatically. So they're now sort of releasing it because I think they feel that Australians are being responsible with the situation. But the dilemma that you've now got is, what if Australia is absolutely fine with groups of 100 and we can put these tournaments on, but the rest of the world can't, and then globally there's no whoppers, but Australia's fine? Yeah, I think that that's where we've sort of fallen on the, the majority rule, right? So if a majority of the world can compete, within their regions, then then we'll turn the green light back on, knowing that slightly less than half the world may be at that disadvantage of being further behind the curve than than a majority of the world. So it's nice to know that Australia and New Zealand will definitely be ready to go when we're ready to go. There will be places that will not be. That's just how, you know, you don't go to 100% from zero. You, you know, at some point we'll cross that threshold where, where we'll feel comfortable enough that most people can play. So what's the what's the logical reasoning for it being majority rule? I know the answer to this. I'm asking you for it because w- what's wrong with saying, okay, Australia, you can start your whoppers now? The fact that it, the world ranking system is a global initiative for us, that it, it's the same way, you know, for every step of the way, when, when I... When I feel confident in turning Illinois back on, it will be when I feel that a majority of Illinois can play. So that's the way that I've sort of pushed people to look at it, even from the smallest of communities. And just at what level that you're representing, you know, looking at it in that with that same sort of level, if that makes any sense. Yep. So the, the U.S. will be a yes when most of the states are yeses. How many different parties are voting on this. I think I've seen the numbers. I don't know if that's public or not. So 46. Okay. My next question of those 46, how many are in North America? Good question. There's a bunch that haven't voted out of, out of like the 46 people that have said yes or no, probably 30, 25 to 30. I guess that's my point. I think when we're going to see this, the IFP, first of all, is certainly international. It's the first word in IFPA, but it is primarily, and I'm sorry to say this to the rest of the world, it's based out of North America. And if the majority of the voters are in North America, that's probably going to tell you how this is going to be dictated. Is that fair to say? I don't know. I mean, I think that when the time comes, we'll have to discuss that when, let's just say, it's easiest to say, like, let's say 30 out of the 45 are, are states and provinces and 15 are country directors. We may decide, hey, well, when it comes to turning back things back on globally, it's really going to be 16 votes, and Canada and the U.S. will each have one. That's a good to hear. I'm sure the rest of the world, and we are a global show here on Final Round. I'm sure our friends in Romania and Russia and Sweden are all happy to hear that. <laughs> Herbert's ready to play, man. So then I, I just want to call out the desire that people have to play tournaments because it's really easy for people to say, hang on, just stay at home and just don't worry about it. But I kind of sympathize with a lot of people because pinball is everything to them and tournament pinball is everything to them. And that's kind of been taken away. The, the reason why I bring that up is that I see really two camps on, on social media. One is, I'm okay, I can wait. The other is, 
I desperately need to, to play pinball. And one side says, hey, just relax. It's only pinball. So, Marty, I hate to cut you off, but you, you, you brought up a point that made that it was something that we included in our announcement that the, the women's board wrote up. And there is a difference between playing in tournaments and having the IFPA sanction tournaments. This sounds just like when Dollargate happened. Right. It's, it's, I mean, it's similar, right? It's not nearly, it's, it's far more life threatening than the, the dollar uh, thing. I get it, but I'm just saying people opposed to paying a dollar could still play pinball. Right. You're running into people that are yelling at us because they want to play. And really, it's not that they want to play. They just want their whoppers. And to me, I find that to be a little disappointing that, and, and maybe it's because I'm not a new player. And I, I've said this hundreds of times, but, you know, I've been playing competitively since 1993. I played for 13 years without a whopper point and I had a blast doing it, that it's not a necessity to be able to, you know, get a group together and, and play if you really want to. But you understand the Whopper drug. It is a drug. And for those, you're right. I've never played in, in a tournament. Well, I didn't start playing in tournaments where there was no Whopper system. And it's really addictive. And... It's like I'm blaming you. Josh Sharp, you have made people go cold turkey. How fucking dare you? <laughs> but that's but that's honestly what what it's kind of like. People, you, you've you've cut off that supply that makes people feel really good. Their endorphin rush is gone, and some people really haven't been able to replace that with anything. That's fair. That's a fair point. I'm not, I'm obviously not blaming you because I think you you had to do what you had to do but I'm sort of just trying to sympathize with those people that are like come on give us my whoppers I want it but the other point I'd make to it is people don't know what the path to recovery is meaning what happens what's going to happen at the end of the year I was having a conversation yesterday with someone saying well I'd imagine the new state and final championships in Australia aren't going to happen because there's not going to be points. It's like, well, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't speak. I'm not part of that committee, but I'm sure there is a path to getting it back on track. And I think that's probably what people want to know is, how do we get back to normality? How long is it going to take and what's it going to look like? And it's, I know it's hard for us to know right now. By the way, let me just jump in here for a second here. Marty, I really don't appreciate when we have guests on, you badgering our guests, okay? <laughs> They're doing us a favor. <laughs> All right. I feel very uncomfortable for our guests when you do that. I apologize, Josh. It's another show. Anyway, that's exactly <laughs> Anyway, Josh, I think what Marty's trying to say in his very abrupt way is, have you found a vaccine yet? So that- <laughs> And why not? Where is it? Well, it- what are you doing with those dollars for fuck's sakes? It- it's funny when uh, on our Slack channel today, I said that I would probably... I will probably mark Illinois as a yes, you know, for IFPA sanctioning before I'm comfortable enough to play or organize a tournament myself. I can't picture me playing in that kind of group setting. Colin was on last week and he had some good points. I think the next time we all play, probably going to be wearing definitely a face mask, maybe some gloves, certainly sanitizing before every single time I go to flip. And social distancing, that will probably continue. Once we all have a vaccine, different story. Yeah, for for me, I mean, obviously, my, my primary focus is, you know, playing in majors, which typically are attached to 
shows that would be a, a, a heavy attendance count that I just, I mean, I was talking with a man about it. I just don't see how, how that stuff will be back without a vaccine when you're getting into like the thousands of people in, in the same spot. It looked like the Ozarks had a pinball tournament last <laughs> yeah, weekend. They sure did. <laughs> so did Toronto. I, I don't know uh, what you're seeing there, Marty, but in North America over the last couple of weeks, there have been just mass gatherings. It was Memorial weekend in the States. It was a holiday in Canada too. And people just went ape shit and just said, you know what? I'm fine. Here we go. And guess what? Funny how the COVID number of cases spiked. Do you know what? I, I would say overall, Australia has handled this whole social distancing thing very well. And like other countries, I'm not going to say that we're we're more so than anybody else, but we're a very social culture. We love a beer at the pub. We love a, a cafe. We, we love all that kind of stuff. Whereas Australians have just gone, yeah, okay, it's annoying, but we'll stay at home. There have been pockets of it. And, you know, this weekend that's just gone... There were people flocking to a lot of tourist destinations, probably more than they should. But for the most part, we've been okay. And again, we've said it before, we per capita don't have a lot of people dying. That's great. Great news. I know here in Canada, we have not the number of tests that we'd like to have. I know the states have been testing more than anyone else. It's certainly a very large country. Because of the size of the country, they've surpassed the 100,000 in unfortunate deaths from this. But um, again, all this goes back to a vaccine. And as it relates to pinball tournaments and gatherings, it's kind of what we need to see. But you have a solution, thank goodness. Josh to the rescue. He doesn't sit at home and do nothing. He thinks, how can we connect some way, somehow during this pandemic? And that's what the ICR is. Josh, can you please tell us what the ICR is and how we can compete once again? Sure. Unless you'd like to, Jeff. No, I brought you on because I have no freaking idea. You know, whenever you'd launch something, I'm like, I-, I can read the I can read out the announcement and make it sound like it's on the top of my head. That <laughs> <laughs> I can, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. Okay. So the a few years back before the dollar gate, as sort of an insurance policy to the dollar gate, you know, destroying everything that we had built at the decade plus building, we uh, we launched a campaign with Andreas over at Match Play to offer an alternative competitive outlet that would have been able to not worry about paying a dollar per player for competitive action, if you will. And that was through what we called IFPA challenge matches. And Mr. Teolis and myself, I believe, did the first one. Is that right, Jeff? Or do we just do the very first one? The very first one. I think we even streamed it live or did something like that on Pinball Profile. On your Facebook, I think. You did a Facebook Live yep. or something. Yep, and uh, we played five matches, if I recall. I forget who won. We did. Well, you know what? We'll look it up later, and you can edit that out, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you were top two. I think the not not failure of the challenge match system, but the lack of interest, I think, came from the fact that the dollar gate thing never really happened. It didn't slow anything down. So, so most people didn't need any sort of different outlet to satisfy that competitive pinball need and urge. So 
I figure, you know, as we're sitting here not being able to do anything with respect to sanctioning events, trying to put put the IFPA hat on and, and see what we can do to try within as as people start to reopen and, and sort of like we talked about earlier, the questions from people that are like, Hey, my my league can meet again. You know, it's 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 eleven people and and we're in our area, it's groups of twenty five or less, so we're fine. And I can't tell anything to that league organizer with respect to being able to sanction that activity, but it's clear that people can begin competing against each other live. And outside of sort of the live process, watching, I don't know if you guys watched any of it, but seeing Carl and Escher do their little Twitch heads up between each other on the same title machine, but different physical games, to me was sort of that light bulb moment of like, they're having a lot of fun, and they're really competing against each other. You know, they're they're watching each other play live as they're doing it. I mean, it was it was legit. And figured, I can't think of a better time to try something like this than right now. So the the ICR is is really a new ranking system with challenge whoppers, if you will, based on these head to head matches that you can play either in person or over the internet, over Zoom, Twitch, Discord, Skype, however you want to connect with someone else, submit that match through uh, match play, uh, select that it's an official IFPA challenge match, and for every win you get, depending on your level of opponent, you will earn challenge whoppers. And to top it all off, we are going to sponsor... The first annual, the inaugural IFPA Challenge Rankings Championship that will be similar to all of our other championships. It'll be based off of what those rankings look like at year end. And because I love the idea of a dollar a player, (laughs) we're going to fund that prize pool out of our own pocket, $1 per player that gets ranked in the system. Up to $1,000. Small asterisk, up to $1,000. So the question I have is about validity. How do you validate these matches? Or is it an honor system? I mean, the same way we take results from someone who submits results for Whopper points and we take them at face value, right? I mean, people have been known to submit fabricated results over the past 14 years and when that happens we deal with it accordingly i think the important part of the way that andreas has set up his challenge match system is that someone will challenge someone else and it has to be an accepted challenge by the other person okay so unless you know someone wants to create a hundred new fake match play accounts and then challenge yourself i mean you can get as creative as you want and we'll tackle it later but also one thing I noticed as well is that when you when you sort of got the, the finals that happen as well, it's almost in a similar format that as long as you can get connected, but I think you were saying like with the finals, if it can be streamed so it can be monitored live, then there's your finals. You mean it's not live in at one place? The finals won't be live? The finals is not live. But you have to have the same games. You do not have to have the same games. Now I'm confused. <laughs> so... Players, all right, before you even get to the finals, like, you can, if, if me and you want to play, Jeff, 
I've already beat you. Why would I want to do that again? Right. And you're you're at home and I'm at home. Like we could create a ping golf course based on the games we have and agree upon, you know, if, if setting par scores that we feel are of equivalent difficulty and off you go. And I'm willing to agree like, hey, Jeff, your par scores sound good. You know, I, I think you feel my target scores are equivalent on these titles. Like, let's play these nine holes against each other and whoever has the lower pin golf score wins. Like, we're leaving it open-ended for players to get creative on how to challenge each other. I, I feel like a lot of the challenges are going to be like speed run type stuff that you saw from Escher and Carl because I feel like game setup is less of a factor when you're racing to get to something versus, you know, standard three ball play or whatever. That's a great idea. I'll tell you why I like that. Because if the games are different, Marty, we don't have any of the same games, but you know what we can say to each other? Okay. The first person to hit the left ramp five times wins. And like you could do it on Jurassic park. I could do it on, I don't know. Attack uh, from Mars. Anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter. As long as the two players agree off you go. So the finals can be that same way. Like the two players can agree to their challenge. And if they don't, we're going full American Idol, America's Got Talent style, where we're going to have celebrity pinball judges that will be watching both players play and they will pick a winner based off of the play that they watched. And the match will be a three-game pop-a-ticket on three games chosen by both players. Three-game pop-a-ticket? A three-game pop-a-ticket. Or an indus ticket. Do you get that, Marty? Do you understand that? Yeah, you're, you're selecting three games, kind of like the, the pop format. You've got to do well on all three games and then submit your, your, your three-game ticket. But how do you compare if they're different games? I'm confused. You compare... If you thought that was a good gift, if I go play Attack from Mars and I get 300 million, that sucks. If I play, it's sort of one of those things where like internally the judges will rate like that Attack from Mars from zero to a hundred, how good they thought it was. And through the course of a three game run, I'm hoping it will be clear enough that player A had a better run than player B. And I think having you know, high level players who have already reached out and said they're very excited about being a judge for this sort of thing. I think having people that have sort of walked that walk of, of having successful Papa tickets, I think with confidence can judge, you know, the, the difference between those two qualifying tickets. And if, if players don't want to, you know, I mean, ultimately guys, this is for fun, right? We're giving away some money and we're going to do, you know, a little bracket thing that we can do as best we can with with what we have available. And hopefully those players will, sort of like what we just said, maybe they can just stick to creating a pin golf course that they feel is fair based on each other's collections. This is a last-ditch effort before we forfeit both players and move on to another match. Do you have to check the tilt bobs beforehand? (laughs) Like, put the camera in there, bring out the level, let's see what angle the machine is? I think depending on the... uh, the level of opponents, you know, maybe someone does want to see a little camera shot of like, uh, hey, man, before I start speed racing you on your attack, show me what I'm working with here, man. Let me see your outline post really quick. If you are at home and you do not have a pinball machine, but you and your friend have the pinball arcade, 
Will that count? If you're both playing the same machines. So, not yet. Not to start. It's physical games only. I mean, I guess if both players agree to submit whatever they want on match play, as long as it's sort of it's sort of the, the, the easiest cheat, you guys can play rock, paper, scissors if you want. We're not going to know, right? We're going to take every result that Andrea sends us at face value. So we would not encourage virtual pinball at this time, but if we see that that the rankings need a boost from people that just don't have either the means to have games at home or there's just not as much reopening as as we would like to see. I mean, this has less to do with homeowners and more to do with, with people that can now safely play at a bar on location that's open and is, is looking for any kind of business that they can. And having 30 league members come in and play at that bar is just not going to happen anymore, but someone can go in by themselves if they want. So I, I see I see the potential for virtual challenges being included, but not yet. So you said not now, as in maybe down the road? I mean, I think of what we're seeing in esports and video games. I'm just saying at some point, you know, it's this is our new pinball ranking system, and it has to do with playing, you know, real pinball, if you will. So in a similar vein to the level of what we consider pinball when it comes to sanctioning events, I would at least start as that as the baseline. There's no TGP or anything with respect to what a a challenge is worth. Every challenge is worth a win or a loss. But uh, I would stick to real game playing for now. But I, I, you know, with that said, Marty, if you want to slide one past the goalie, we're not going to be watching, man. You can challenge people on pinball arcade all you want. If you, if you really want to, I, I, I think, and and like playing for Whoppers and playing for fun, you don't have to make it an official ICR match to be able to do that, right? You can do that on your own. Well, I think this will certainly generate more traffic than the original concept that was done on Match Play. Do you have to be a subscriber to Match Play to do this? You have to have an account, a player account. Okay. You don't need to. You don't need a, like a deluxe, you know, organizer account to be able to run events. You just need a player account that's linked to your email address. And forgive me, when we did our challenge match, we didn't go through the process of of setting it up ahead of time. But I believe that if you wanted to challenge me at Free Play Florida, like you did through Match Play, you can go to create a challenge, look me up, click that you want to challenge me, and I will get an email about it. First ever winner. <laughs> oh, God. <Together. laughs> some good times. Some good times. Back yeah, then. So in the IFPA, you only take your top 20 scores to make up your ranking. What's it going to be like for ICR? So there's a difference between Whopper, what, what are we on? Five point something and ICR version 1.0. I think if you if you get into the formula aspect a little bit, you'll notice that ICR is extreme version 1.0 is extremely similar to Whopper version 1.0. So when when Whopper started in 2006, all those many moons ago, we had a flat scoring system for every event, no matter what it was, whether it was Papa or whether it was Joe's Bar, the winner got 25 points. 
If you finished in second place, you got 15 points. If you finished in third place, you got 10 points. If you finished in fourth place, you got five points. And if you played in the event at all, you got a participation point. You got one. And there was no rolling period. There were no caps. It was a lifetime point total. So the that first 2006 ranking was like 20 years worth of tournament data that I could find over the internet. And that was just the standings. It was, you know, Keith Owen was in first because I had all the tournaments that he had played in since 1993 as part of that initial system. So the ICR is going to be the same thing. The the different tiers in terms of the the value of a win against whatever uh, players you're competing against, the highest level tier is worth 25 points, then it's 15, then it's 10, then it's 5, then it's 1 for the five tiers. And there's no cap on how many wins you can get, and there's no sort of rolling period where there's going to be any decay to those victories yet. Is this going to be on the IFPA website? Is Brian looking after this? Who's looking after all the data? So Andreas will be housing the data over at Match Play, and Adam Lefkoff has uh, graciously volunteered to scrape that data from Match Play and spit out a file to my liking in the format that I want, incorporating the the different values for wins and sort of the adjustments we make to get to someone's challenge whopper total. And from there, he can send me that file every day, and I will be updating our website. There'll be a spot on our website for those standings that I can update anytime Adam kicks me over uh, a new updated ranking. And so when does this all start? June 1st. The show airs June 3rd, so... Um... It starts two days ago, which <laughs> is also six days from now. <laughs> are, you, are you implying that we're not recording this in June as it's airing? Right. <laughs> so you've had good feedback early on about this. I'm excited. It's new. And you know, we deal a lot, Marty and I, and I guess you would too, uh, whether it be at shows or wherever the case may be, there are a lot of collectors probably more so than competitors. And then, of course, there are the people that like to play for Whoppers. Well, this might bring in more collectors, perhaps. You know, the collectors who we've heard say, I don't want to go to those competitions. I don't want to do long lineups. I don't want to fork out some money or whatever. It's not really, I, I want to just play pinball. You can just play pinball and be part of the ICR. Yeah, I think uh, it's funny. We have a, uh, We opened up a Discord channel for where players can connect and I forget, I think uh, Ed Robertson was on sub-podcast. I think it was the Super Awesome podcast, but he talked about how he doesn't play tournaments, right? Because... Yeah, it was this It was this podcast. But oh, yeah, or whatever. So he doesn't play tournaments, right? Because he doesn't want to waste the entire day standing in line not playing pinball. And talked about he's happy to play and sort of that icebreaker for the people that, that walk up to him in, in wonderment about like, hey, let's just play a game. Like the ICR is that version of, hey, let's just play a game. But it actually counts for something. So it's more than just, it's slightly more than just a friendly game. It's whatever you want to make of it. And I think there's, from the emails that I've gotten, it's a lot of that like, hey man, I'd never wait in a four-hour pump-and-dump queue to play anything, but this is right up my alley. So, like, I, I, I think you're right, you know, Jeff, like the, the opportunity to bring in a different kind of player to experience 
some sort of competitive thing. I think that that's where something like this could uh, hopefully get some stickiness to it. It, it strikes to, to me, it's, it sort of sounds like dollar games with a ranking system. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know, you know, going back to, to when, you know, I was a kid, like going to Pinball Expo and, and staying up in the hall all night, we would play, I was, I was too young for dollar games, but we'd play quarter games you know, for hours and hours. And it's like, if you won, you got 75 cents from the other three guys and you moved on to the next game and you hoped you were up some quarters before the night was over. But like, I mean, that was sort of the, the, it's more fun to compete, you know, part of the uh, Gottlieb artwork that you see on the back class. It's really about that kind of competing, right? It it was less back in the 70s, 60s. They weren't talking about, you know, organized high level tournament play. They were talking about getting together over a pint and and playing the game together. I will be curious to see when this is done, what the data is like as far as number of players that play in this ICR versus players that have never played in an IFPA ranked. Because I think what will happen is your sampling crack is basically what you're doing. You're getting people addicted (laughs) to competing. This is meth light. This is like New Jack City. You were running the Carter. <laughs> well, I I think, and for us, you know, whether this is something that continues long term, long term, or it's just a, a quarantine campaign, like I I think we have some some data points that we can look at to whether it's a success or not. You know, I don't anticipate Keith Elwin being ranked in this thing, right? Like, I don't plan on playing myself. It's just sort of not my bag, but I'm hoping it's a lot of people's bags. You guys Anything gonna play? Else? Well, I would, for me, I would rather play this than normal <laughs> tournaments because I because I've just sort of gone a bit cool on on the big tournament. I, I love running them. I just I'm not necessarily enjoying playing them. But I'd love to be able to do this to someone. Just say, hey, let's have a challenge game. Sure, why not? It's just for shits and giggles. I think I certainly prefer the competitions. We are not anywhere near to having those right now. This might be interesting, and I'll put that out there. If anybody wants to challenge me, sure, send me an email. You can shoot us one at finalroundpinball at gmail.com. And Marty, if someone wants to challenge you, you, you can step it up. You can oh, do absolutely. it. Absolutely. If, if someone reaches out and challenges, I will definitely challenge. That'd be fun. Now, just be warned, if we win, we will talk nonstop about it oh, on correct. this podcast. Correct. If we lose, it will never be mentioned. Never. You'll never know. I'm going to put it out there that I'm hopeful maybe you guys can find a way to indirectly compete against each other and then broadcast with different games how you were able to come to an agreement that worked. Yeah, okay. You know what? I've already put a challenge for uh, you two. I was at his place one time. Oh, my God. I played Jurassic Park maybe two, three times. We hear about this Jurassic Park one more time. Put up the GC. The third time I ever played the game. I mean, do I, Marty, do we have to go through the motions? I mean... Well, it was a brand new machine with the, the default scores on it, so it was very easy to get GC is what I'm saying. <laughs> or I didn't have the tilt bob in there is actually the story. So you were throwing that machine all over the place, whereas you probably shouldn't have. There might have been a little of that. <laughs> Even if you didn't have a premium or an LE, I still made that... T-Rex move. <laughs> this sounds like a preview to the emails we'll be getting that, that this challenge match should not have counted. Correct. All right, bring it on. Send us an email. Yeah, you know what? I'll do it for this reason. I like the concept. I like the initiative that it's something we can do while we're isolated. I hope it brings new people into competitions. And uh, it's pinball. 
He's going to be my marketing hype man. <laughs> I'm excited. I, now I might change. Now I might do this. So if somebody reached out to you, Josh Sharp, and challenged you, would you accept the challenge? I don't know. I think it would be rude not to. You're probably right. But maybe maybe this is the start of my kid's competitive pinball career. Mm. I would let Charlotte and Colin beat the hell out of me. Although I, I say let, they probably will, especially on something like Monster Bash. <laughs> Colin. oh, Colin's yeah. great at that. You know what, Josh? I don't want you to be scarred. I think when you say you wouldn't do it or you're not going to do it, you're going to let others do it. I get that. I don't want you to be scarred by the first ever right. match mm-hmm. in which you lost in Florida. It was for charity, if I recall, uh, for Project Pinball. So I know you came in second that day and it's there in the history books. Just put that aside. Turn a new page. It's 2020. Go for it. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Anything else, Josh, you want to plug that we've forgotten? Um, player of the month for April was nobody. Player of the <laughs> month for May was nobody. <laughs> now, now that we're in June here, uh, yeah, I could safely say it. I don't have to wait for all the results to come in. It's nobody. Such a dick move, and that's why we need a new president for the IFPA, oh. because you say nobody when I would have said everybody. Yeah. Everybody tied. Yeah. Half glass full, Josh. Come on. Can you edit that in? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'll just highlight once again how <laughs> fucking negative you are. <laughs> All right, Josh. I'm really happy about this. The ICR. It's uh, available on MatchPay. Thanks for Andreas for doing this. Thanks for yourself and uh, Adam Lefkoff and everybody else putting this together. Let's get more people competing. Let's have fun. And uh, I bet you're going to, you know what? Let's also post to the different challenges. Where can we see those? Because I hadn't thought about pin golf, like you mentioned. I suggested, okay, Marty, well, first person to five ramps or something like that, or first person to two multiballs, whatever the games are, it doesn't matter. You agree. I want to see more of these challenges. Yeah, I would jump in. I think one of the channels within the uh, you know the Discord chat is has to do with things like that. So coming up with unique ways because it is a, it is a challenge, no pun intended, to try. If I'm a dude with a fishtails in my apartment and it's like, hey man, I really just I'll play anybody in anything, man. I just want to play that that you could do something like. Uh, Hey, does anybody have an Indiana Jones? Because both games have that same rule, like Monster Fish, where you could, uh, you know, string ramps together and then shoot that hurry up to collect. Like, I'll race someone, you know, Fishtails versus Indy Jones. I don't care. Like, I just want to play someone, anyone out there. Or if you have an EM in your collection, somebody else has an EM in their collection, why not do a one-handed challenge? Who plays longer? You could do that. Mm. It could be it could be on one ball or something like that. You could time it. There's plenty of scores on games that are comparable, you know, against one another anyway. Or if two people have got Thunderbirds machines, whoever can spell <laughs> international <laughs> rescue first or die, just waiting to get there. Plus, to continue this challenge next week, we're uh, we, we're run out of time. <laughs> Last Thunderbirds challenge: first person to press start loses. Ah. Uh. <laughs> oh. That's not nice, but fair. (laughs) All right. All the best, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, boys. So we recorded Josh because the idiot told us, sorry, did I say idiot? I meant moron. (laughs) Um, Told us that we recorded that kind of late May. Today, recording right now, we do the interviews in segments. I think Dwight was recorded Sunday night. Right now, it's June 1st for me, June 2nd for Marty. I already know that June 1st, 
there have been a lot of people on that ICR. Yeah. And really getting into it. Why not? It's competition. Absolutely. And again, we, we've said it. We'll say it again. Reach out to us if you want to challenge us. Absolutely go for it. I think it'll be fun. You know, I, I probably won't initiate any and you probably won't either, Marty. Maybe we will against each other and people can take bets who's the better player. We're going to have to obviously give you odds because of your weaker skills, but we'll, fi- we'll figure that out later. No reaction. Are you going to mention Jurassic Park at my place again? Oh, my God. Uh, no, I, 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 I'm sure people have saved that. Oh, uh, look at me. I won my own tournament when I came to Australia. Woo. Hmm. Was I sucking helium there? Did my voice go up? Yes. No, that is exactly how you sound. I just want to let you know that's exactly how you sound. So. <laughs> Marty, come on. All right. Peace. We talked uh, about it, for God's sakes. You've already forgotten. <laughs> All right. I have to give a couple of nice shout outs. Uh, A good friend of this podcast, of the Pinball Network, of Pinball in general, and really a great guy. I don't know if you've had a chance to meet him, but he's actually uh, from my home league in the London, Ontario Pinball League. He has moved. I have moved, but we're still obviously in touch. Orbital Albert of the Pinball Nerds podcast. He has given us quite a few nice shout outs lately. Love his show. It's kind of a blog. He, he used to do it every single day. He's at 360 some odd shows right now. And he occasionally does a, a top three on the pinball network uh, when he's not having router problems mm-hmm. at home in the Maritimes in Canada. But uh, some very nice words. And I wanted to thank uh, Albert for those. Thank you. And yes, he watches my stream. So there you go. Thank you. Also, Ian Harrower mentioned to me that he is enjoying part of this program. Uh, He loves and agrees with everything that you do, but disagrees with everything that I do, which brings us to another word from our sponsor of the week, the Oxford Dictionary, jealousy. I'm not going to read the definition, but basically means that Gamma Goat's years of looking at his head-to-head IFPA stats and seeing red on his player-versus-player top competitor has caused delusion and resentment. But kudos to you anyway, Marty. I've always loved Ian Harrower and now even more. He's just an intelligent man. I think what Ian was referring to is our crap movie, Great Pinball Poll, which brings us to our next guest. What a third guest. That's right. First, we had Dwight, then Josh. Now, ladies and gentlemen, time to meet Stats Boy, mild-mannered Marty Robbins by day, but in front of a spreadsheet, his superpowers excel as he transforms into Stats Boy. (laughs) You know, I love, I love stats. I love a good spreadsheet. I love graphs. Most people go to a computer to look at porn to get a boner. Marty goes to a spreadsheet. Yeah. You know what? Those bar charts, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, exponential curve. Oh, God. (laughs) Trend lines. (laughs) We sound like slam tilt. Okay, slow down. (laughs) But you do love the stats, and we've got some stats for you based on our crap movie, Great Pinball. Now, people are wondering, how do we vote in this contest? We put up polls on our Facebook page on Final Round Pinball, and basically, great gifts. Were people picking the favorite gif? Were they picking which is the better movie, which is the better pinball machine? There are no rules. No, there are no rules. And people were reaching out saying, what am I actually voting for here? And the point is just vote for what makes you happy. And it could be the GIF. It could be the machine. It could be the movie. Uh, it was somewhat controversial in parts. People were saying that movie shouldn't be there because it was a great movie or the machine's crap. And yeah, what? Come on. Let's just have some fun. So stats, boy. Give us the status. Okay, so there wasn't really, I, I don't think there was necessarily any surprises. Round one was Bram Stoker's Dracula, or Brum 
Stoker's Dracula versus Stargate. <laughs> Joe, Joe Cherovino with a correct cr- <laughs> Joe Cherovino who has a last name that only I know how to say because yep. a lot of people Cairo Yep, it's Joe. It's Chair, like you said in Cherovino. Sure. Okay. So Dracula was eighty-five percent. Stargate fifteen percent. That was always going to be that case, and that's because compare those two. Dracula's a great game. Stargate's just a bit of a you know. Was that shoot Gottlieb the pyramid premiere? That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we then had Flash Gordon versus Starship Troopers, and a convincing win. Flash Gordon sixty-eight percent to Starship Troopers thirty-two percent. Next, Johnny Mnemonic versus Terminator three seventy-four percent to Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, that was always going to win. I still maintain that I. I believe that Terminator 3 possibly better than people give it credit, but it's not a great machine. And I think it's always going to be compared to Terminator 2, which is obviously a much superior machine. Yeah, I agree. And then you've got Lethal Weapon 3 versus The Shadow, and The Shadow was pretty much a walkover at 79%. It's funny. I wonder how Lethal Weapon 3 would have done against somebody like Stargate or Starship Troopers even. Yeah, yeah. It probably would have beaten those, but... Don't know whether it would have gone far into round two, which was uh, Dracula versus Flash Gordon. Dracula won 63%. That's, you know, somewhat convincing. And then Johnny Mnemonic lost to The Shadow at 61%, which puts Dracula and The Shadow into the finals. So I think there's like an hour left in the poll right now. But right now, as it stands for the finals, I know my vote lost. Yeah, I'm <laughs> looking it up right now. I can't remember what I voted for. Uh, Dracula versus Shadow. Now, I would have I would have voted Dracula, and that's because I'm just I don't mind the Shadow, but I think there's something magical about Dracula. A lot of people say that it's a it's a simple machine, but I I think it's a very strategic game. Of course, you've got to do the thing, which is the mega stack. I like the missed multi ball. But I have this feeling that the shadow is going to win. It's currently sitting at 53%. I mean, this is probably the closest, obviously, of all of them. So, yeah, it looks like the shadow might win. You and I both picked Dracula. And for me, it's the harder game with the lightning flippers, some brutal drains at times, the great stacking, a pretty cool video mode. Oh, great, great video mode. I love the callouts. Shadow has a good one, too. Oh, that's right, with the Furbers coming down and you've got to avoid them. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of okay. I, I just like the overall presentation of Dracula. I mean, it is a foreboding machine with a, a lot of mood and, and, you know, intensity. That's what I like about it. I really, for the most part, resent upper playfields a lot of the time. I really resent lower playfields even more. Very few games do I enjoy lower playfields. But... It's kind of neat on the shadow, but yeah. it's... I like it. For shadow, what it is for me that... Here's... It's missed multiball being absolutely mind-blowing on Dracula. And it's how easy con is to get over and over again on shadow. That is the one thing it takes away from me. Depends on how dialed in that scoop is. Because you can get it lit really easily, but a lot of the shadows that I've played very difficult to get it into that side lock shot to start i can imagine it's difficult for some oh, <laughs> hilarious no you're right actually you know i've seen some that are just it, it's not even fair you hold up the upper right flipper and it automatically goes in there that's stupid 
It's more so that you can absolutely nail that shot and it just rejects. There's a lot of rejections in that game. So that's that's the bit I don't like. But going back to that playfield, what I love about that upper playfield is you're up there, you're not up there for long, you're just back into the game. It's kind of the right amount of time to be up on a mini playfield. And boy, obviously diverters are pretty popular. We're now seeing that on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yep bringing that back yeah 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 yeah. i think that's good so congratulations shadow does that mean it is the greatest crappy movie best pinball machine ever <gasps> no necessarily because what? that was our first battle we are about to do a second battle another you teased us. i know i know i know that's that's kind of what we do Oh, people were wondering, where is Congo? Where was Demolition Man? Where were all these other movies? I have a feeling we're about to find out. We are about to find out in our second battle. The winner of that battle will go against the shadow. Of course, we need your votes. So please go to Final Round Pinball on Facebook and we will do it again. We will have a a bracket elimination and you get to decide which game is the terrible movie but great machine. By the way, I know I have invited quite a few of you friends and people I know that are listening to this program. Maybe you don't want to be on pages and social media, but you do want to be on Final Round because we need your votes for this one. So please uh, like our page if you could. Please do. So that's where you can find us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram, Final Round Pinball. Please follow us there. And of course, email us too, Marty, because maybe you want to challenge us for ICR. And we've also got another suggestion for emailing us at finalroundpinball at gmail.com. Why would people want to email us, Marty? That's a a great question with absolutely no notice, except obviously we've spoken about it beforehand and it's in the show notes. Uh, Someone wrote to us. So smooth. So smooth. (laughs) So, So Michael wrote to us and asked us to give some more simplistic strategies to get high scores. So rather than here's your big long journey to get to the wizard mode, what's the one or two things that you can do to blow up a machine or or at least get a reasonable score without having to completely baffle us with a myriad of rules? Which games though? Which ones can we pick? You know what? I don't... We had Colin give us a couple last week with Lord of the Rings and Deadpool. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking let's go let's go a recent game. I, I think this one because it actually has quite a comprehensive rule set. And I still myself don't even really know what the thing is to do because I haven't really seen this machine a lot in tournaments. And that is Jurassic Park by Stern. You know what? I would love to hear from people because I know that game certainly sold a lot. So a lot of people have been playing it, especially now with COVID-19 isolation. Give us your best strats. That would help a lot of people listening to this program, even yours truly. Look at that. I'm humble once in a while, Marty. All right, I admit it. Well, I, I, you know, I've got a Jurassic Park and I stream this all the time, uh, but I'm usually going for mini wizard modes and trying to get to the wizard mode. And, and that's all. I'm, I'm not even bothered about score at this stage because I'm not playing it in a tournament. So I, I genuinely don't know what is the simple strat that you would use to get a good score. We're about to find out on the next episode, the double digit episode number 10. Yeah, so please write in to finalroundpinball at gmail.com and tell us your simple strat for Jurassic Park. Until then, more so than ever, please stay safe. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. My name is Jeff Teolis. 
My name is Martin Robbins. It's always been our pleasure. Thank you very much. Like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh yes it will